What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, we are broadcasting outside from Los Angeles, California, and my special guest, and I'm so honored to speak with him, I'm a huge fan, Mr. Selen Birchwood. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the program. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, I've been I've been following your career for like the last five years, and and um, you're just killing it, man. I, I I got to see a little bit of your show when uh, you were nice enough to come on our uh, Keeping the Blues Alive cruise, and uh, I just really love your take on the blues. It's 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 so different, but yet it's traditional, but yet you put your own stamp on on everything you do. So my hats off. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, my thing is I, I feel like the music is so personal that it's, uh, you know, some of my favorite things to watch is those old like guitar summits with BB and Albert and, yes. uh, well, Albert King and Albert Collins and everybody. And, and they're playing the same song. But as soon as one of them starts playing, the song takes on an entirely different character just because of their personality being put into it. And I feel like that's what's missing a lot of times these days. People try to turn it into a paint by numbers instead of, you know, self-expression. And it's like, man, that's what really grabs me is when people put their own stuff into it, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, the that that Blue Summit show from the 80s with BB was, I yeah, think, Paul the, Butterfield, Stevie Paul Ray. Butterfield in there. Stevie Ray, <laughs> he didn't have the cowboy hat. He had the, he had the like, the, the, the beret on. Right, right. And you just go wow i mean everybody had such a unique take on it and but they all had one thing in, in common and you have this is when you step on stage in, in in front of a microphone people notice you you play one note you sing one note and you're like oh who is that you know and that's <laughs> the thing you can't teach yeah man that's uh you know something i'm strive for man i don't i don't know if i get there yet but uh definitely that's the goal man and uh just because all those guys man i mean they they always say they play the one note and you know who it is man and that's right. such a cool thing man. <laughs> oh it's you know it's it's great i i actually um um i i had a chance when i was a kid to sit in with albert collins and it was yeah. the greatest lesson i ever i, I was ever given and um <laughs> he 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 pulled no punches with a 13 year old kid he stood there with that telecaster and he stared me down and he played one note and it just it it just felt like this wave would just wash you away you're like you're like i don't belong here let me, yeah. let me get out you know but it was it was a great uh it was a great experience tell me you know um you grew up in florida yeah, I was born and raised in uh, Orlando. I moved to Tampa, Florida about, uh, man, about 10 years ago now. I like being near the water. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about, like, Northwest Florida, Jacksonville and, and Tampa and, and, and Orlando, there really is a there, there really was a great blues scene and there was a great music scene. You know everything up through Georgia, the Mid Atlantic's, and 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 I, I remember when I first started touring, I was like, man, when we got down to that area. It's like you mm. better bring your A game because like <laughs> these cats can play, you know, and 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 they they pull no punches. I'm like, with with growing up in that scene, um, and when you when you started gigging, you know, who are, who are the people that you were running with when you first started? Man, locally uh, in Orlando, I wasn't finding what I was wanting to find. It was a funny thing because back in the day, they had a, a lot better scene. They had King Snake Records and uh, right. 
Sanford, Florida, and they were, you know, they had Lucky Peterson down there. They had uh, Sonny Rhodes and Kenny Neal, um, yes. you know, all those kind of guys. But I, I came in, you know, after all that was already done, the studio already gutted and th- most of right. the guys gone. But uh, I found myself, you know, I wasn't satisfied with what I was hearing locally. It was just very much local bands. So I found myself driving every single weekend, three, four, five hours as, you know, a teenager, I just, my car barely made it. (laughs) And uh, just to go see a guy like, uh, you know, Kenny Neal would come through town or uh, Michael Burks or uh, uh, Guitar Shorty. Um, I caught Johnny Winter, but it's like all of that, I had to go drive to find it. And I found myself a lot, I would go to Tampa. So, you know, a lot of the acts were going to Tampa or Clearwater. Right. And uh, those kind of venues over there. So I was like, well, maybe I don't need to be living here. You know, if I'm having to keep driving, you know, I'd rather just go somewhere where the music's coming to you. And uh, that's how I ended up moving. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I mean, um, I, I I knew Michael Burks um, and he was a powerhouse. I mean, yeah, he, man. Just, he just, I, I saw him, he was playing a flying V. <laughs> and and he owned that thing just like albert did you know yeah. and and uh and it's it's funny actually when i was a kid i saw sonny Rhodes at a oh. place called tiny's jazz club in utica new york that's where i grew up and he 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 mixed the lap steel and the guitar and i and and i one of the things i read about you 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 actually toured with him after you got out of high school yeah i actually uh got picked up in his band when i was just out I was about 19 and uh when I was in school a a friend of mine would always say you know my neighbor's got a blues band because he knew I played guitar and liked blues and stuff but I thought it was a bunch of you know weekend warriors playing in a garage somewhere and he brought me one of his records and as soon as I heard him you know open his mouth to sing and I heard that band I'm like man you have to you have to introduce me whoever this is right (laughs) you know and uh, I took a guitar over there to go see him and I played about a half a song for him. And he says, you know, stops me and says, you know, son, do you have a passport? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, man. He's like, well, uh, I'm going to take you on the road with me. And I, I thought he was just blowing smoke. But within a month, you know, I was out touring the U.S. and Canada with him. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful that I was able to go and do that at such a young age and to really see what was out there. Because at that time, there wasn't YouTube. There wasn't, you know, a lot of this stuff that keeps us connected. I was felt like the oddball listening to blues and jazz music. It makes you feel like an alien when you're that right. young, you know? <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I mean, I, I remember like uh, my friends in, in high I, I, middle school, they're like, you know, because they knew I played guitar and was into that kind of music. And they were like, hey, have you have you heard of this new Eric Clapton song called Layla? And it was his unplugged version. I'm like, yeah, yeah I heard it. I heard it 10 years ago on a, <laughs> a, on a Derek and a Domino's record. But yeah. uh, one of the things that I to me, when you when you when you set out for your first tour, seeing things for the first time, you never forget that, you know. No, and no. as many times you go around the block and like, yeah, it's 20 years, 10 years down the line, you go, oh, we've been here before. <laughs> it's that first time you walk in and it doesn't matter how shitty it is. Mm-hmm. It's still the coolest thing ever. Cause you're like, look at, look at me. I'm like playing music and I'm, I'm traveling, you know, it's like, it, it's, I wish you could bottle that feeling because it's, it's so, it's so formative. And, it's and so develops exciting music. too, man. Yeah. It's just everything is new. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter what you're doing. Do you um, 
do you like we like you were saying like the uh you we, you know now it's youtube and and uh, um uh, you know is uh, you know all this stuff online and i miss the days and i don't know if you feel the same i miss the days when you can leave the bad gigs at the venue because right now <laughs> yeah well, you they know? only they only record the bad gigs now. That's the only thing that, <laughs> and that's all they're gonna put online. That's all you see. It feels like sometimes, but yeah, I I, I feel you on that. Yeah, I was I, I interviewed um, uh, Brandon uh, uh, Taz Taz the uh, guitar player, and yeah. um, and he I saw him play. Josh Smith and I were were producing a record and watching a football game, and he he played the national anthem in front of like it was like had to be millions of people you know yeah. and i asked him i said were you nervous he goes man i was so nervous i go what was the most the, the thing you were most nervous about he goes becoming a meme and i kind of laughed <laughs> right yeah. and then after the interview i felt i go man i feel sorry for this generation of like it's like you screw up one note and you're like a meme you you don't have it you don't have time to develop and go through that trial and error phase where you go ah, that just didn't work you know yeah how do you how do you approach like putting a show together um you know who are your influences as, as far as being a showman and and a, and a and a front man well the first experience that i had that which i hate using the term real deal or anything like that but i mean the first experience i had from a, a legit you know blues musician was buddy guy when i was 17 i you know i didn't know anything about him i'd just been playing what was on the radio and i was bored with it really quickly because it's very repetitive and simple a lot of what was on there but yeah. uh i saw on a Jimi hendrix bio that uh buddy guy was a huge influence on him and it seemed like the very same week that uh, he was coming to town to House of Blues. So I just bought a ticket blindly. Right. And uh, I was there, you know, super early, two hours before the doors, so I could be right up front. And uh, it was when his blues singer record came out. So he right. did about a quarter of the show was just him and a guitar. And yeah. uh, with all the pyrotechnics on the guitar and all the showmanship and stuff, that was awesome. But man, it really grabbed me when he was, cause he did a bunch of that old uh, hill country stuff and yeah. Junior Kimbrough and stuff. And uh, it was somewhere between blues singer and, and sweet tea. But uh, you know, just hearing there's something about someone sitting down with just an acoustic guitar and a voice, just that vulnerability and nakedness. I mean, there's no pedals to hide behind. There's no, nope anything you know i mean and when he would just open his mouth and reel it up and just belt that thing man it's like someone grabbed you by the shirt and just shake the hell out of you and uh it, it affected me man and yeah. uh, it's like three days later i'm waking up and i'm just like what was that man like what was that and uh I said, whatever that that was, that's what I want to learn. That's what I want to do, and and that was it for me, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, I I had the honor of interviewing him on one of our cruises, and I and I told him, I said, you know, buddy, you you and only a few people I I can I can think of have this ability. BB has it. Um, they had it. Um, you know, those kind of cats, like it. They don't have to sing or play anything. And they get a standing ovation. They walk out <laughs> and they smile and nod. Hi, I'm Buddy Guy. They, and, and they have that star, they have that connection and that star quality that 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 just endears them, you know, to their audience. And, and it's and it's powerful stuff. You just don't know why 
you know, you, you kind of just get chills thinking about it. You just don't know why, but it hits you in such a, a, a visceral and, and, you know, a, a human level that, mm-hmm. that it's really, you know, I think one of the great things about the blues is it's, it, it's a simple form of music, but it's also very complicated to achieve that connection emotionally. Yeah, well, that's part of the the magic of it, you know. It's, you can hear someone play a one four five all day, but when you hear those cats really doing it, it's like bad. And, and it makes the, for the same reason. It, it seems so simple when they're doing it, but then you take someone else, you hand them the same guitar, the same amp, the same mm-hmm. microphone. It that ain't it, you know. <laughs> it's like that's what's so cool, man. It's like just chasing that dragon, man. I make it look easy. And, and I think that's, that's, well, that's just the, 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 the 10,000 hours on a stage. They, they grew yeah. up on a stage, you know, um, when you were playing uh, with Sonny, did, did, were you singing? Would, would you get a, would, you know, would, would he give you like a, uh, you know, a spotlight or a break in the show where you, you could, you know, sing a tune or, you know, solo for as long as you want? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, especially on because we would have some some shows where it's like we're in the middle of nowhere. They were definitely routing gigs. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, right. And you know, he he started off when I first started playing with him. It was like, oh, uh, you know, play a couple songs and bring me up, and I'd play and sing a couple songs and whatnot. And then it's like by the time I'm getting to the end of the tour, it's like you know, oh, don't play four or five songs, play five or six. And it's like at some <laughs> point, I was like, man these people came to see you like, and, right. <laughs> and uh so it was cool though it's, it's one of those things it's like you can't really buy that sort of uh exposure i i just got thrown in the water with no floaties with with that band and like you were saying the first tour that you never forget my first tour with him i actually are uh, we left orlando florida and in, in this dangerous van no power steering headlights hardly working and our first show was in calgary alberta oh <laughs> and, uh, that's also that's very close yeah oh perfect. man so i'm i'm talking you know 88 hours drive to get to our first gig and uh that's how the touring was with him you know the bandmates would all be pissed off i was just happy to be out doing it you know but the yeah. bandmates would joke that you know, his booking agent would get drunk and throw darts at a map Mm because we would go, you know, from Orlando to to Calgary, to Detroit, to California, to, I mean, it was real road warrior kind of gigs. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about it still, man. It's like, you know, you get in a van, drive for 40 hours and realize you aren't even halfway there. It makes you start to think one thing or the other, or, you know, do I really want to do this? (laughs) And, uh, I really did, man. I still do. And uh, I, I'm always going to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I always say I'm a, I'm a lifer with a contingency, you know, I, <laughs> I, you know, like, oh, well, we've been off for a year, you know, and, 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 you know, it's one of those things where it was probably the year off I needed after 30 years straight on the road. And I was like, you know, at first I was like bummed out and was like, yes, yeah, it's kind of a drag. And then I kind of enjoyed it. But then about eight months after, you know, we stopped, I'm like, yeah, I still love it. I still love that adventure, you know, because yeah. the great thing about live performance is you start at zero. You could be great the night before. And, and well, at least in my case, I'm great the night before and I can really suck the night after. And then you go, oh, I got to redeem myself. <laughs> you know, and then, then, you know, on, on Thursday night, you're great again. And so it's, it, it's, 
it's it's the art form of performance that that intrigues me a lot you know um what what um who is your host musically um who put the guitar in your hands you know like um you'd hear you'd heard the records obviously and but where where did like i see guitars behind you like where did the first one come from i uh man i'm always jealous of the cats that that really grew up playing music and uh you know a lot of you know especially the church cats you know they they don't remember a time where they didn't play their instruments or right. as much as breathing and uh i was never like that really man i i always liked music um but i didn't realize it's sort of a thing but no one in my family played no one uh there was music in the house my parents would listen to you know mm-hmm. what we would call i guess what we called it oldies when I was younger, but I'm not sure what oldies is now. I guess it's right. super oldies. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I'm oldies. Is, I'm a yeah. boomer. People call me a boomer. I'm like, I'm Gen, I'm Gen X, man. Come on. Yeah. You know? So the old music, you know, the, from the 50s and 60s and soul music. So I, I heard that growing up because my parents were in their 40s when they had me. So I got uh, a set of music that was different from my peers. And I think that's why my ears were kind of tuned that way. Um, but I just decided I, I got to a point uh, where I just decided I wanted to play an instrument and I landed on guitar uh, when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there really wasn't any rhyme or reason for it. It's sort of a weird thing, man. <laughs> but yeah. even looking back to the TV shows and the movies and stuff that I look back to that I watched as a kid, I see that it's all the stuff that had great music in it. I look at a movie like The Sandlot, Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, it's just got the old soul music from the 60s and, and uh, you know, even Ren and Stimpy, you know, the yeah. intro to that is like a swinging, you know, thing or Roseanne, you know, that's just blues harp on the front of it. And uh, it was just one of those things I always realized I liked it, but I didn't know what it was. And once I realized it was blues music, that's what sent me chasing down that trail, you know. It's, um, it, it does hook you. My, my, my hook was uh, I saw Crossroads. When I was um, the movie, the movie when it came oh, out, Ralph I, Macchio. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. was like, it was, I was, it was eighty four, eighty five, and it was PG thirteen, so I couldn't get in. My father snuck me in to see the movie, yeah. and I, I was tall for my age and portly, and uh, so I, so I passed for a thirteen year old, and I remember that scene with uh, Ralph Macchio and. Jack Butler, aka Steve Vai, and yeah, yeah. and when when it was Ry Cooter playing, but when he played that slide, I was like, I I, I just was like, all right, I got to get involved here. I don't know what it is, but I but I but I want it, and 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 it's the pop culture that 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 draws you in initially, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things you. You see it sparsely everywhere, but people don't realize it. I, I always say that, you know, a lot of times I'll be in an interview and they'll ask if, if young people like the the shows that we're doing and stuff. And I'm like, man, the, they love blues music as long as you don't tell them it's blues music because <laughs> there's this stigma to the word blues that people hear that and they automatically have something in their head and it's probably inaccurate and they decided already that they don't like it. So it's like, if you just take, you know, any of the blues guys that we talked about and put them on a stage in front of any amount of 20 year olds, they're going to love it, but don't tell them it's blues music. (laughs) Just let them experience it, man. 
that was Bill Graham in the 60s with B.B. King. He mm-hmm. would book them with like Moby Grape and the Dead. You know, you get those. I see a poster behind, you know, behind your left shoulder. It's it, it's like it's like you get those great show bills. It's like Albert King and B.B. King. And then there'll be Johnny Winter and, you know, the Grateful Dead or something like that. And and people loved it. They mm-hmm. just they were like this is this is amazing and you know to me you're, you're an extension of that because you're 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 bringing blues to a new generation of of of, of listeners that may not have heard of it before you know and and that's a that's a great thing uh, to me that's that's how it how it survives yeah well it no one ever seems to want to hear whatever their parents listen to and they don't want to hear people their parents age you know, trying to convince himself that it's hip, you know, <laughs> so right. it's, uh, you always need that, man. That's why it's so cool to see, you know, the younger cats coming, coming through like, like Kingfish, uh, mm-hmm. that's, you know, he's only just barely 22 and he, he's going to be a, a, a voice and an outlet and a, and a portal for people to be sucked into that, you know, kind of wormhole for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, since it's not in the mainstream, you need those kind of, you know, yourself included, you know, you need those kind of people to get people put into that, that track to, to get an in, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I always tell people like, you know, like people say like, well, you're not really blues. I go, you don't see me disagree. I go, I, I like prog music. I like Americana. I like blues. I like jazz. And I kind of just put it all together. I like, I like yeah. heavy metal. I like Iron Maiden. I'm a big Maiden fan, you know? Yeah. And, and I think one of the one of the tricks in widening the audience is like the blues is the anchor, and then you kind of you, it kind of spreads out, and you just you kind of draw from all these influences. There are no rules, yeah, you know. Yeah. There, there, there's never been, you know. There is the rule book, but oh, nobody ever sent me a copy. So I'm. Yeah. Well, I, I, for me, it comes down to honesty, man. It's it's like I, I grew up in Florida. I didn't grow up picking cotton, you know. I. And I, I'm damn sure not going to get on and sing about stuff that I don't feel like I know about. Right. And uh, that's just the, the way I, I've seen so many people up on the stage talk about, you know, I was born in Chicago in 1952 or, or however the song goes. And I'm just right. sitting there. And I'm like, no, you weren't. Right. <laughs> no, right. you didn't. <laughs> and it's like, I just I don't understand that mentality of rehashing and rehashing. I, I'd rather listen to someone talk about something that they know about and, and talk about where they're from. Cause I, I you know, cause everybody's different. I think that's what's so cool. Everybody has a unique story to tell. Why don't we embrace our unique stories and put that out there rather than trying to force, uh, you know, force a hand to be putting out this singular story that's gonna be disgenuine, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, I mean, Unfortunately, when you sing "Born in Chicago, 1951," it sings a lot better than "Born in Utica, 1977." I can just tell you that for free. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, um, man. Talk to me. Your your parents. Um, your your dad was from Tobago. Am I saying that? Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. Tobago, right? And your mom's from the UK. How how did your family settle on Florida? Uh, well, they met in England and uh, they moved to New York, uh, Long Island, I think, uh, just before I was born. My sister was actually born in England, um, but they moved to New York in the early 80s 
and they mm-hmm. had a few New York winners and that was enough mm-hmm. for them. They said, mm-hmm. you know, they couldn't do the cold. So they ended right. up coming down to Florida and then I was born uh, in Florida in 85. Right. So, uh, yeah, I guess the, the cold up there in New York chased, chased them out. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, I just came from there and, it, and it's like, you know, I, I, for, I hadn't lived there in like 20 years and, and I forgot about the crosstown crosswind. <laughs> Meaning that like you're, 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 you're walking, but you're kind of like not, you're not moving because the wind is keeping you back and it's like zero degrees, you know? And it's like, you're like, eh, no, that's, I can't do I'm, I'm going fishing after I'm done with this, man. I, <laughs> it's, it's like 72 and sunny and breezy that it, it's awful. It's yeah, like, it's <laughs> awful. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you think it is about the South that, that produces so much, iconic music you know i asked i asked bobby rush this and i and and uh, and and it seems like the south and and you know the big cities major cities san francisco new york chicago you know and you know in the rock and roll sense cleveland and and you know minneapolis with prince but there are exceptions but predominantly in this form of music there's something about the south that you know we're talking about the hill country you know style of blues texas the, the, the mid-Atlantic stuff. I mean, yeah. what do you think it is about the South that, that produces such great music, you know? Uh, man, I think it's, a, a lot of it is just upbringing and, uh, you know, because a lot of the, the guys that uh, were doing music, you know, BB and, and, and everyone on down, you know, they would, they would grow up in the church and, you, you know, your entire life you're singing and uh, when you could look at it objectively, you could look at that as musical training from the time you're a kid every weekend, you know, having to sing sort of thing. But when you couple that with just adversity and, uh, you know, I always feel like this music has always been an outlet for, uh, you know, people struggling mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, struggling in the lightest sense of the word. But, right. uh, you know, that's that was the outlet. And, and uh, you know, when, when you're singing from that most sincere form of struggle, I feel like it just comes out differently than when you're singing for fun on vacation, you know? Right. And uh, all of that, that emotion and all of that heart, you know, it's, it's not faked. It's, 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 it's there and it was put there. So it's uh, one of those things that it's where beauty seems to come out of, uh, you know, cruelty, you know? And uh, I, I just, that's one of the things that I just hope isn't missed as the music has become kind of a commodity or, or being sold as a commodity, you know, uh, and you can put it on a, a cruise ship and, and that sort of thing, but right. it's important to not forget the roots of it and, and where it's coming from. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing that's put out there for the entire world at this point, man. But it, it's definitely coming from a, a, a very heartfelt place, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the difference between doing a, you know, a, a, a Disneyland gig in Orlando, a TGI McScratchies, and then a sweaty club gig in, you know, you know, Ybor City, you know, you're yeah. like, it's like, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the intent, you know, you know, I, yeah. I know a lot of people who, who move to Vegas and, and, and do gigs in Vegas, and and about a year in, they go, I've lost my soul because that's all I do is play these damn cover songs. And it's like, you know, but you're playing, you're you're serving a different purpose as opposed to making a statement, 
you know, it's a lot more difficult to get out there and make a statement and have people, people come yeah. talk to me about, um, you know, I, I've judged a few of the international blues challenges and um, I was down there a few times. This is probably 10, 15 years ago. And um, that's tough to win, man. That, there's a lot of good cats that come from all over and you got to make it out of the club. Then you get to the then you get to the New Daisy Theater. I, I just I'm showing my age. I don't know if they still do it at New Daisy, but it was like yeah. you know. And then then you're the, the five bands that go on, and then there's then there's the panel of idiots like me up there with the pencil, you know, <laughs> you know. I, what 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 was that experience like? You know, because again, it's it's in some ways it's like it's a talent contest, but in some ways it's also discovering new talent and, and just because you didn't win doesn't mean you don't have a career and just because you know it, it it's not mutually exclusive so tell me about that experience about winning it in 2013 it was nauseating it was <laughs> You're right no it's one of those things man it it is such a different thing to be on stage every time you go on stage you know that people are judging you i mean that's just uh -huh effect but to yeah. see people out there with a literal pen and paper with a cold stare just you know looking at you bold face and looking down looking at you like it's a whole right. different thing so for me i mean that that is just such a, a sick kind of feeling almost right right <laughs> all that being said you know you go out there it's, it's like well you have 20 minutes i've got mm -hmm. a job to do and you have to just push all of that out of your mind and just right. do everything you know the leave it all out there do the best you can and that's what i did and uh by the end of that week the, the year that we won in 2013 um i mean everybody always says they, they would come back from memphis with the crud and uh yeah. you know i got so sick that week that we were advancing each night we were advancing it's like this is what you want to happen but it's yeah. like each night I got more and more sick because I caught something the first night. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time we got to the finals, they have it in the uh, Orpheum now. Right. And uh, man, we're in the finals, which means we're in the top nine or eight or something from the 200 bands. And I can't even get out of bed. And yeah. uh, it was, I, I mean, it was so disheartening to get that far and to be that sick. And uh, I got to the venue and I'm just laid out on the table. Right. And uh, a friend of mine is like, oh, well, well let me, uh, I'll go get you something for it. And she comes back with a, a shot of Jaeger. I mean, just a glass of Jaeger, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say a shot, but I mean, it was just like a glass of Jaeger. And I was like, you know, whatever. And then I got that down because my, my throat felt like there was just shards of glass in it. Yeah. And uh, I stuck that down and uh, man, I started to feel a little bit better. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, after about 30 minutes, I started, I feel pretty good, you know, and then we mm -hmm. went up and did our 20 minute set and it was just like a blur. It, it went so quickly and, uh, you know, uh, we ended up winning that year and I didn't even realize that they announced that we won because uh, they announced the guitar winner before mm -hmm. that. So I had won my uh, Gibson 335 that mm -hmm. year, and that was my dream guitar. So I'm just sitting backstage like this, and uh, I didn't even hear him say that we won the competition because I was like, I've got this guitar. I won. You know, <laughs> we're good. Let's get out of here. Then, uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, one of those things, man. I, I really don't like, uh, objectively, I don't like to, to have all of that judgment and music 
because mm-hmm. uh, I don't feel like that's what it's for, man. It, you know, for me, it's it's about that personal outlet. You know, growing up in school and and stuff, I would do a lot of creative writing and and poetry and stuff, and it was just my way to get stuff out. You know, and then when right. I got into music more, it turned into songwriting. Um, but I always hate to see all the judginess coupled into music because I feel like it's supposed to be art and no one would sit there over a painter's shoulder and be like, nope, nope, that's not how Picasso did it. Nope. Yeah, right. nope. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, it's, strange, man. It, it, I, I, the analogy I, I, I use is let's say for in, in, a, in a bizarre world, well, we are living in a bizarre world. Let's say, <laughs> let's say the next season of The Voice, you have... Uh, a reincarnated John Lee Hooker and Tom Waits competing for <laughs> to, to win the voice. Yeah. How far do you think they would get? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, and, and, and it's, it, the, the, it's become like that, a, a talent search and, and, you know, can you sing these covers and can you kind of like stay within the, these lanes? And, it, and to me, it truncates the artistic side of it because, you know, you're not really encouraged to be the personality that you are. And, and, and it's, it, it is a different, it is a difficult thing. Um, talk to me about your songwriting process. And I, and I I'm going to bring up, you know, your, 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 your new album is living in a burning house. Yeah. Great album, by the way, I listened to it today on the plane and I listened to it uh, before we, we had this conversation and you, sir, are responsible for writing, in my opinion, the greatest blues song in the last 20 years with the greatest freaking title. You know what I'm about to say. Uh-oh. I got drunk, <laughs> laid, and stoned. Yeah, when I heard three. that, I'm like, <laughs> first of all, I go, I couldn't sing that, okay, with all honesty. <laughs> I said, but that is the coolest song since Champagne and Reefer. I go, it's just, you, you just laid it all out there. It's like, here's my mission statement for the evening, you know? <laughs> it's a great yeah. tune. How did, mission how did, mission what was accomplished. The, what was the inspiration about, behind that? Man, uh, I mean, if, if you listen to it, it, it I, I wanted to write that song kind of as a backwards sort of a redemption song because it starts out saying, I went out last night, I got drunk, laid and stoned and people might be thinking of it sideways, but then I go on into the reason as to why and, uh, you know, so I kind of tried to twist it in that way. But uh, I just, man, I, I really want to try to write the music that I enjoy listening to. And for the reasons why I feel like retrospectively that I was gravitating towards sort certain kinds of music. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is honesty. A lot of it is, you know, kind of edginess. It's like, I, I always, kind of liked music that that sort of pissed people off a little bit when I was younger and that, that was just love it, it made, yeah. made me like it even more right. and uh so it's like that song is not for everybody but it's like you know the people that like it it's like they'll super like it you know? oh, <laughs> that's man. fine with me man when I first heard that that's one of those I wish I thought of that kind of song I was like <laughs> damn that's that's a clever idea how did- I was I was listening to uh T-Model Ford well, I'm constantly listening to him, but uh, mm-hmm. he did a song uh, called I'm Insane. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just really brash like that. I, I mean, way more 
uh, brash like that. I don't know what I could say on, on this, but oh, uh, we, when, we, we have no filter on this. <laughs> when you listen to it, he's like talking about, oh, I'm going to put my shoes in your ass and all that. Right. I mean, it, right. it's hilarious, but it's true. It's, he's talking about getting in knife fights and, and stuff. And it's like, it's awesome. And it's like the same as you said, only he could write that song. And yeah. I think that's why it's cool. It's because it's it's his story, man. And that's what, what I gravitate towards. So that's what I want to try to do when I go into write songs too, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's like, it doesn't have to, it, songs don't have to be PG, you know? Um, I remember no, doing a gig in Austin. This was probably in 2001 with uh, Chris Thomas King. And mm. um, and he had a, he, he was starting to kind of infuse hip hop and, and, and blues at the same time. And some of those lyrics were raunchy. He's were playing Antones. I'm like going, this is clearly not aimed for FM radio. You know what I mean? It was great. <laughs> right. But it was like, again, it was like that personal story. It was like, he's just telling it in plain English, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. very plain English, how, how it is, you know, and that, that honesty is, I think it's palpable to the audience, you know, cause they, they, you know, they're, they're hipper than you, you know, people think, you know, they, they, they can see right through it. You know what I mean? If it's yeah, like, right. you know, like, like we say, born in Chicago, like now born in Tampa, 1985 yeah. <laughs> or Orlando, yeah. you know, um, I have a question for you and I, and I, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> Uh-oh. How in the hell did you get Bruce Aguilar to sign you to Alligator Records? Because people who have tried and failed include <laughs> Robert Craig. Stevie Ray Vaughan, yours yeah. truly. How did how did you meet him? I and, and by the way, I love Bruce. I think he is, you know, just a, a, a just a, a he's not only a maverick, but he's a, a wonderful label owner. Loves the music. He's been passionate his whole life about blues, and and still loves it to this day. How did how the hell did you get signed by Bruce? Because that's a tough nut to crack. Um, man, I'm still not sure what what went on with Bruce. I know that he he first heard me at the International Blues Challenge. Mm -hmm. He was one of the judges, like you were saying, he, he was one of the judges in the finals, I think it was. Right. And uh, we actually competed in 2012 and made it to the finals, uh, but didn't win that year. So when I right. went back in 2013, that was our second time, to, you know, going to it. But uh, he likes the the approach. This is what he tells me, that he likes the, the configuration of my band because at the IBC, you know, you'd have these huge bands with a full horn section and, you know, everyone's trying to lay everything out there. And I went up with, a, a you know, let's say a three piece and a biscuit. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, I had drum, bass, guitar and a baritone saxophone. And he, nice. he was uh, intrigued, he said, by the, the configuration of the band and kind of couldn't understand why I was like that. And it was just because I couldn't find a keyboard player at, at the time. Right. But I liked, but I liked the way the the saxophone sounded. So I was like, well, we'll go with it. But um, you know, I I talked to him a little bit. I was actually in the hallways, just handing out flyers and trying to get my name out there and stuff. This unknown guy from Florida, and uh, he was walking down the hall. I see everyone trying to hand him stuff, and you know, he kind of ran away and grabbed me to go talking in the uh, stairwell and was kind of picking my brain as far as what I was doing with my career and stuff. And I was like, well, I just finished recording an album and uh, you know, I'd love for you to, you know, throw some notes on it if, if you could. Cause I, I had sunk every dime that I had into, which at that time was like 
$5,000 and uh, sold everything that I could and and to get this together just to get a record done. And uh, he listened to it and and said, well, I I think you got about half a record here. And, uh, you know, I told him, I was like, well, I'm out. (laughs) And he's like, well, I think you got about half here. Maybe we could see what other songs you can come up with and we could do it on Alligator's Dime sort of a thing. And it was like a year of shopping songs to him. And right. uh, he finally settled on, on some songs that he liked. And that's what became my first album album for uh, Alligator. But right. uh, it kind of came from one of those things. I, I tried to get every penny that I could to put into an album. And I wanted to have an album that sounded good, that was done, that I could just hand to someone like Bruce and say, yeah. you know, this is a good album. You should put this out. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, you know, people, I feel like too many people are expecting other people to, I don't want to say make them a star, uh, but to, to have other people just put them somewhere and do mm-hmm. the work for them sort of a thing. And I'm of the personality that is, you know, I'm not asking anyone to do anything for me, man. I, I just want to be able to have the right doors and outlets to try to push my own way through there and, uh, you know, kind of work, man. That's, that's what I've always been about. <laughs> yeah, they can only, I mean, you know, a, a label or, or a manager or, or anybody in the business can only accentuate and augment things that you're already doing. They're not going to yeah. just snap their fingers and all of a sudden you're a big star, you know, yeah. especially in this world. You got to go out and pound the pavement. You got to sell the CDs out of the trunk of your car. Got to shake the hands, take the pictures, step and repeat, step and repeat. And then yeah. all of a sudden more people show up every day because, you know, I remember when I first started drawing a bigger crowd, if you polled the audience, a lot of them would have had, well, I met him, uh, you know, and, and to this day. Well, I met him in 2003 or I, you know, it's like he signed my CD outside the, the van or what, you know, and yeah. it's that personal connection that makes lifelong fans, you know, Absolutely. because they, they, they come back and they support you because, because you were nice and, 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 you know, we're honest and, and, and they support you. They want to support you. You know, they don't want to, they, 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 they're not fair weather fans and that's the building the house, you know, foundation up, you know? I, man, I heard this and this is hearsay, uh, so I'm not sure if it Uh-oh. was true or not. <laughs> preface, <laughs> preface it with that. But did someone tell you back in the day that you would never be a theater, like you would never play theaters? Oh, yeah. Was that oh, a, a legit thing? Because I, you know, I, I look at what you're doing and, and how you did it sort of thing or try to look <laughs> at how you did it and you know, it's just such a cool thing to watch business-wise and strategically how, how stuff kind of comes together. But that just makes me, you know, that sort of naysaying, I love when people put their foot on your neck and then you just do it anyway. Like that's the best. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'll answer that. And then I want to get into the fact that um, you have a master's in business degree, which I think is a fantastic <laughs> thing. Yeah, man. We were playing, um, we, 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 we were touring in the U.S. This is before I went to Europe. It's about, you know, it about the same time we go to Europe for the first time. And we played Fort Wayne, Indiana, and we draw about a thousand people. I had, a, I had a song on the radio in Fort Wayne, Indiana. People liked it. It's called Heartaches for Nichols. It was written by Warren Haynes, and my version of that song connected to the folks in Fort Wayne. So I'd be able to draw a thousand people. And my manager now of 30 years, 
we were like, well, instead of playing this club Pierre's, we'd like to play the theater, which is the embassy theater. Mm-hmm. And the promoter said, first of all, Joe Bonamassa does not belong in theaters. He's a club act and he, d- he will never make more than $4,000 a night. Okay. And my manager's father was in the business and, and he managed Frank Sinatra and, and, and a lot of the Rat Pack, well, all of the Rat Pack. And so we decided that tour, we were doing a small run in the US just to t- cap off the year that was 2004. And we decided to take all the receipts from that tour and invest it in a four wall strategy, meaning we were going to, we were going to, we were drawing a good crowd in Jacksonville. Thank you, Jacksonville. And we were drawing a good crowd in Fort Wayne. So we just took our bat and ball and, and rented the embassy theater and put the tickets on sale and we didn't sell it out, but we drew 1200 people and it, our gross receipts, um, we ended up walking out with like $25,000. Ding, 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 ding. There's your, there's your sign. That started the four walls. And what we would do in every, every tour as we would go, we would four wall more and more markets. Meaning we would do, we started off with two, then we do five. Then, you know, cause it takes a lot of capital to, to, you know, and we constantly just would bet on ourselves. And then next thing you know, couple of years later, we're 50% four wall. A year later, after you know, by 2008, we were 75% four wall. And in 2009, when I had my big break in, in London, we played the Albert Hall and Mr. Clapton came out and then PBS got, got a hold of this thing. Then we went to 100% four wall. So as I sit here talking to you, I do not have a booking agent. I don't have a booking agent, you know, and we don't have a promoter. We do it all in house. And it was just basically manifest destiny. And it's like, if, and, and it was the classic example. If you don't bet on yourself, nobody's going to bet on you. Or yeah. they're not going to think enough of you to bet on you more than you're willing to bet on yourself. And that's how the whole thing scaled. And, and, and so the long and short of it, yeah, they told us we couldn't play theater. So we did out of pure spite. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. So tell me, when you were touring with Sonny, you were going to college. You were, you were getting your master's in business and uh, it, uh you get your MBA, you know, how important is that degree and that, 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 that education in business? How, how important is that? I mean, it must be super important to what you're dealing with now, as far as your, your career. Uh, I don't know if it's, if it's completely applicable uh, mm-hmm. to what I'm doing, but I know that if nothing else, I mean, it almost scares people into trying to screw you, you know, because right. they know that you're not an idiot. So it's right. like people were always, uh, you know, even when I was younger, people were taken aback as to how I approach stuff because like a, a booking agent tried to, before I, I had won the IBC, this booking agent had sent me this contract for, you know, blowing all this smoke about how he's going to, you know, book me worldwide and this and that. And uh, it was pretty much a a contract that was in perpetuity that he just kind of pretty much owns me for as long. And it like auto renews and all this stuff. And it only says that he needs to book me for $400. I have to play the gig and then I owe him money. So he could book me from Florida in Washington state and yeah. for four hundred dollars, and I owe him money, whether or not I can get there or not. And he's like, "Oh, that's not how it works." So I'm like, "Yeah, but that's how it can work," you know. Yeah. 
and uh, you know, a lot of my career in my early twenties was people trying to do that stuff, sort of stuff, uh, pull that kind of stuff on me, and and they always try to sun you, you know, be like, well, well, son, you just don't whatever, and it's like, no, nah, man, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that it. I've always kind of had that sort of a business mindset because it's a music is literally a business, you know, that's why they call it music business. And if you aren't approaching your band as such, then, uh, you know, that's why you're struggling. All the people that, you know, oh, I can't get this gig, but they're talented as hell. It's because they, you know, it's not a lack of talent. So they're doing something else that is keeping them from doing that. And it's, that's a messed up thing. So uh, I wanted to make sure I had those bases kind of covered. If, if, if stuff happens that's out of my control and, and I can't get somewhere, that's fine, man. But it's yeah. like, I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot for one reason or the other. It, it I've seen that happen to so many musicians and it's so disheartening that it's, you know, but sometimes you, you see people and it's like, you wonder why they're in a certain place. And some people are there because that's where they put themselves sort of a thing. And it, I, I hate seeing these super talented people that uh, just haven't been able to pull themselves together. And, and uh, you know, I think that's what that's ha- helped me to not do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I've seen over my tenure in the music business that the fear of success is probably the greatest career killer of, of all time. The people <laughs> who who get work so hard to get to a certain point, but then they're at the precipice of success and mm. they find a way to screw it up. And, yeah. and, and, and just because they can say, well, it didn't work out, you know, I mean, you, you, you want to succeed and you, you have a goal and you have a lane and you like, this is where I want to go. And this is where I want to be. Um, what, as far as, is there, is, is there a career goal in mind or is it, is it just the career itself? Is there like, is like, like, I ain't gonna stop until I play Madison Square Garden. Is there anything like that? Or is it just, man, I just want to be able to make music in an honest way to as many, play to as many people as I can. That's real. I've almost gotten to the point where it's like, I, I want to kind of set more goals like that because I feel like the goals that I did set, you know, it's like I, I achieved the greater majority of them, you know, thankfully, and I, I'm really happy about that. Uh, I mean, we, we played in, in the seven years since I signed with Alligator, we played in 16 countries. And, uh, you know, that was unheard of just seven years ago. So three records and 16 countries later, I'm like kind of running out of stuff that I want to figure out to do. I'm really just wanting to write music and uh, and that's true to myself and just get as many ears on it as I can, man. I I don't, uh, you know, I would say that my goal is really just to put on the best show that I can each night. And I feel like other stuff will fall into place if, uh, if I continue to do that. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's what I'm trying to do. And along the way, just trying to figure out, you know, kind of strategically how to get into certain circles and how to get into certain doors. And, and like I said, try to figure out, I don't know. It, it's one of those things. If it was easy to do, everybody would be doing it. So it's like it's, it's a hard thing to kind of say I want to do this or that, and then not have a, a way. But uh, right. it's a process that I'm in and I'm conscious of, and 
the end goal is to play music for as many people as I can and get the music out there, you know. <laughs> do you have uh, do you have any uh, do you have any gigs on 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 the books for this year? Are you planning on getting getting back out there? We're get, trying to get out there as soon as we can. I, I've just been kind of tiptoeing with a lot of stuff because I've got asthma. So uh, it's right. one of those things that makes it even scarier. But I, I'm doing the outside stuff uh, and kind of limited depending on what it is. Sort of, I'm not going to just go into a club for no reason sort of a thing. But uh, right. Right. other than that, we're trying to get stuff together the best we can to, to get back going because I'm getting freaking sad sitting at home <laughs> it, is, it is it is it is tough you know musicians alone with their thoughts dangerous yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm like say, yeah, you know smoking way too many cigars here son you know i'm like yeah. like i gotta stop but uh <laughs> man so and i you know i can't thank you enough for being here and and um you know i have the utmost respect for you as, as you know and and you know like I said in my Instagram post, I think you really are the future of the blues and, and, and you operate with the epitome of class and talent combined. And, and it, it really is, you know, it's great to see that, that there's, there's people out there doing it for the right reasons. And so again, you know, thanks for being here. And, uh, you know, I hope we actually get to see each other in 3d and jam, you know, yeah, as opposed to like a multi zoom <laughs> call situation. All right. I'll send you the track and then you jam on. I hope we actually get to play music, you know, the way it was supposed to be, you know? Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. And uh, hopefully we, we get to see it happen in person and not have to meet virtually again. No kidding. <laughs> but, uh, what, what kind of fish are you going for? Whatever bites my line, man. I I'm normally come back with zero. <laughs> I take my dad fishing once a year. It's part of, part of my whole campaign of, trying to become the the son of the year you know i've won yeah. i've won that award uh four years in a row <laughs> for various reasons between my mother and my father and um oh wow somebody a sky writer just just painted lana del rey okay <laughs> nice. that's that's an that's an odd way to promote a record anyway um it, it, and i i know because we go to south florida fish and and i'm not an angler i just go because my dad likes it yeah. and i sit there and, and i should really fish in protest with a bear hook because i'm just happy just happy there to sit and i remember the first time i went and i was like all right dad you you do your thing i hope you catch fish. i'm just gonna sit here and talk <laughs> my line goes in the water 30 seconds all of a sudden i'm holding the pole and the line goes all it starts screaming out of the yeah. out of the reel we're on a boat under this bridge. Three hours later, we land the 300 pound bull shark. And I was no like, way. I mean, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the, the sharks by the boat. I'm like, listen, I'm trying, I'm talking to it. I'm like, listen, I go, dude, let's you and I come to a conclusion, a deal. <laughs> we'll get the hook out of your mouth. We'll both go our separate ways. Just, just, just sit still for a second. You know? Wow. Yeah. Anyway, but those I, I hope are you can. crazy aggressive too. Those bull sharks are dangerous, man. <laughs> yeah, and and to see what was happening in those waters under that bridge, and it wasn't that it was like 15 feet deep. It was off of Marathon, Florida. Just to yeah. see the ecosystem, and then you know, and then next to our boat, they're they're running diving tours down there. I'm like, are you guys mad? Like, <laughs> see this fish we just got? They chop half you. Anyway, I hope you catch some fish today, my friend. I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the angler, the blues man, Selwyn Birchwood. 
This has been live from Nerdville. Thank you very much. Until next time. <laughs>